Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, have them go to www.hotm.tv. They can click on streaming video and see the program live from anywhere in the world. Um, are we getting a signal? Just out of curiosity. Just bear with us for a second. One technical glitch. We want to make sure you're getting a picture. Which is the TV monitor. We are. Okay. Uh, listen, every single week we have a verse-by-verse -verse Bible study at the University of Utah. It is a great time for people to get together from all walks, good fellowship, learn the Word together. Why not commit yourself to a year of studying the Bible verse-by-verse? Uh, it's free. It's no cost. You can come. They have refreshments very often, almost every time now, and uh, it's an hour a week. So join us from 2.30 to 3.30. Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information like time and locations. You can also hear Heart of the Matter replayed on AM 820 KUTR The Truth every Sunday from 1 to 2 p.m. And uh, maybe while you're driving to the Bible study, just flip that on. Project Winter Coat, what is it? Well, it's you donating your gently used and new winter coats for men or women and us taking them to the Salt Lake Rescue Mission when between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday all the way through the end of February. And bring coats right here to KTMW TV 20 in our lobby. There are two big boxes for you can, that you can put them in. Where are we located at TV 20? 314 South Redwood Road, south of the I-80 and north of uh, 400 South. That's south of the I-80 and north of 400 South. So we're right in between the two. And please help us keep Utah's less advantaged warm this winter. With that, <clears throat> let's have a word of prayer. God of heaven, we love you and need you in life and uh, in this program. Um, we pray that you will send your spirit to be with those viewers who are seeking for truth. And uh, whoever they are and wherever they may be, bless our audience, bless our staff and, and volunteers and people who are trying to keep the program going. We're thankful for the airtime. We love you and need you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, here we are. It's the last program of the year of Mormonism versus the Bible, topics A to Z. Um, you've probably come all the way through with us. We're grateful. And uh, we're going to kind of summarize some things tonight and talk about our final topic, which starts with a Z. It is not Zelf. 
It is not Zarahemla, and you can try to guess what it is as we move forward. Step back with me for a minute, back almost 190 years, back to the eastern states of a relatively new American continent uh, in terms of uh, population. Uh, Mormonism started here, but not with a boy, but with a family by the name of Smith. Before Joseph Smith Jr., founder of Mormonism, was even born, his family, grandfather, father, and uncles, believed that there should be only one true church on the earth, that it needed to be restored because it had been completely lost from the earth, that every single person on the earth would experience salvation of some sort, and that the author of this restoration would come out of the Smith home. This family had a father who lost everything in a failed business venture. He then turned to alcohol and treasure-seeking, and he passed his skills for using rods and seer stones onto his middle son, Joseph, whom he had convinced would be the one to restore this lost primitive church of Jesus Christ back to the earth. This same father was a visionary, having vivid visions and dreams, uh, the second of which went something like this, as recorded in Lucy Max Smith's biographical sketches. He saw a beautiful stream of water where along its bank was a rope. Following it, he came upon a pleasant valley, and there was a single tree bearing some kind of unique fruit. He ate it, and it was delicious beyond all description. He, meaning Joseph Smith's father, then desired that his family would eat the delicious fruit too. Opposite this tree was a spacious building where people who were dressed really nicely pointed their fingers of scorn and mockery at those who partook of the fruit. This dream, uh, found on page 58 and 59 of Biographical Sketches, was dated 1813 when the founder of Mormonism was only seven years old. Remember this. Now, official LDS Church History Today tells us that in 1820, when Joseph Smith Jr. was a 14-year-old boy, he retired to a grove of trees to ask God which church of all churches on earth was true. But the real story is far afield from what the LDS Church teaches today through its missionaries and its Sunday school lessons. First of all, road surveys indicate that Joseph Smith could not have even lived in that area he claimed to have had the first vision in until he was at least 16 or 17 years old. You might think, well, it's only a few years, no big deal. But that would have been 1823, which was the same year when Joseph Smith claimed an angel named Moroni visited him and told him about some golden plates. What does this suggest? It suggests that there was no first vision. No journal uh, existent today contains anything about a young teen claiming that he saw God or Jesus. No biography or autobiography, no clergyman's personal journal, no newspaper mentions a first vision, but the newspapers and journals of the day are full of claims of a teen who said he discovered some golden plates of an ancient civilization. Why nothing about the first vision? Because it was created later my friends, retroactively by Joseph Smith to suit his needs. Not even a record from Joseph Smith himself references a first vision until almost 20 years after the supposed date he said it happened. 
look at the first publicized Mormon history, a collaboration by Joseph Smith himself and Oliver Cowdery in 1834. It even ignored completely this first vision event altogether. You got that? Then once attempts to create a first vision came about, each tell a completely different story. Don't believe me? Watch our archive shows for February and March of 2007 on the first vision. It will blow your mind about how many versions there are and how conflicted they are. Friends, God says in Jeremiah 14, 14, the prophets prophesied lies in my name. I sent them not. Neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught and a deceit of their heart, end quote. <clears throat> so we move on. Before, during, and after the fictional first vision, Joseph Smith spent a lot of years with his father scrying for buried treasure by using a peep stone that he put into a hat. Then after one long night of scrying in the dark land looking for booty, this night was the autumnal equinox of 1823, which according to magic folklore was the best time for the heavens to reveal to humans where to find buried treasure. Joseph claims to have retired to his room when an angel by the name of Moroni appears to him and tells him where some golden plates are hidden in a hill near his home. Long story short, some six or seven years later, Joseph tells people he is finally allowed to get these golden plates and translate them. How does he do it? With the very same rock in the hat trick he used with his father to supposedly locate treasure for people, which he never did. Don't believe me? Go to www.utlm.org and read about it from LDS archives themselves. Now, unknown to Mormons today, but according to Joseph Smith himself, Many spirits from the past, especially many of the spirit characters supposedly that were in the Book of Mormon, Nephi and Moroni and all these other characters, they would come to Joseph Smith and they would have this interaction with him to assist him with his supposed translation. Don't believe me? Read Dan Vogel's book, Joseph Smith, The Making of a Prophet, or go to UTLM for more original sources. And then once the book was done, Joseph Smith called it the Book of Mormon. What did it supposedly contain? A history of the American Indians, which included another witness of Jesus Christ supposedly coming to the American continent to witness to them. But what did it really contain? A compilation of thoughts, themes, topics, and direct quotations from sources all available and popular to Joseph Smith at the time of his supposed translation. Much of it can be construed as biographical, including themes of Joseph Smith's family's wanderings, the failures of his father, and the strength of one character named Nephi, and even the use of seer stones is used in the Book of Mormon. The book contains impossible to explain blunders, including quotes from the Bible, errors and all, the anachronistic use of Greek names, which were not available to the fictional Book of Mormon people to write on gold plates, and great narrative incongruencies. To compare um, the towns in the Book of Mormon, the towns' names in the Book of Mormon, with the names of the towns that were around Joseph Smith's home is almost an exercise in comedy. They are so closely related. Perhaps most revealing are the very popular 19th century topics 
which were rampantly discussed by people in and around where Joseph Smith lived. Somehow these themes or topics worked their way into the narrative of the Book of Mormon, including anti-Catholic themes, anti-Masonry themes, mound building myths, market economy topics, anti-Jacksonian messages, an agrarian work ethic that was emphasized, anti-deism themes, what the name of God's church needs to be, the number of popular Indian topics, fears of tyranny and, and of anarchy, Joseph Smith's own name, puritanical idioms were included, and a whole host of other thoughts promoted by the Campbellite restorationists and the promotion of a theocracy. Remember that too, the promotion of theocracy. The Book of Mormon also includes a litany of plagiarized ideas, words, sentences, and paragraphs from other authors. As stated, Joseph borrowed mainly from the, uh, and liberally from the Bible, um, using a King James English, by the way, and he also borrowed manuscript ideas from everything from a view of the Hebrews to local newspapers and from direct quotes taken verbatim from popular preachers around the town. To top the whole thing off, Joseph added in a number of prophecies after the fact, just to make it sound like a historical and prophetic book. These included references to Columbus discovering America, the gathering of Israel, early American colonizing, Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, and an impossible to prove, at the time, description of a whole civilization of Nephites and Lamanites who battle it out in this mega turf war using steel swords and armor, where of which not one single piece has ever been found or located in the world today. Hmm. And the book was published. By the time a reader gets around to page 13, they can read a very interesting story supposedly taken from the Golden Plates. It's located in 1 Nephi chapter 8, beginning at verse 2, which says, And it came to pass, that as my father tarried in the wilderness, he spake unto us, saying, Behold, I have dreamed a dream, or in other words, I have seen a vision. In verse 9 and 10 it says, And it came to pass, after I had prayed unto the Lord, I beheld a large and spacious field. And it came to pass that I beheld a tree, whose fruit was very desirable to make one happy. Verse 13 says, and, it, and I cast my eyes round about, that perhaps I might discover my family also. And I beheld a river of water, and it ran along. Verse 14 through 17 tells about him finding his family and wanting them to eat of this fruit of this single tree. And verse 19 tells of him finding a rod of iron that ran along the stream. And verse 20 speaks of him seeking a large, seeing a large and spacious building overlooking the tree. And verse 27 says the building was full of well-dressed people who were mocking and pointing fingers toward those who ate the tree. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And deceive some of the very elect Joseph Smith did with his stories and tales. Many honest-to-goodness, God-seeking people embraced his counterfeit scripture, and they followed him. Now, while supposedly translating the Book of Mormon, Joseph claims to have received authority to baptize people by a personal visit from John the Baptist and then to hold a fictitious priesthood by a man named Melchizedek. And he said he was visited by the apostles Peter, James, and John personally. But again, again, my friends, 
The story of these visitations were created after the fact to fill in the blanks of Joseph Smith's ever morphing religious myth. How can I say this? Shortly after the Book of Mormon was published in April of 1830, the Mormon church then called the Church of Christ was organized. Prior to this official event, both Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery were baptized by each other in the Susquehanna River. Shortly thereafter, when Joseph and Oliver were at a man named David Whitmer's home, they supposedly received additional authority, it says, but were told that a meeting would be held where they could ordain each other using this newfound power. So they received the calling to ordain each other, and then they did the ordaining at the first church meeting on April 6th of 1830. But there was no mention anywhere of any angels or resurrected men or apostles stepping in and giving them the authority. No John the Baptist mentioned. No Peter, James, and John mentioned. Again, listen. In being called to baptize one another and then baptizing each other and in being authorized to ordain each other with the Melchizedek priesthood so as to give each other the gift of the Holy Ghost, no angelic ordinations are mentioned anywhere at all until four years later. They retroactively wrote in these angelic visits or these apostolic visits to make it make congruent sense for their fraud. In fact, in the LDS Book of Commandments, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, which is a precursor to the today's LDS use of a book called the Doctrine and Covenants, an outline is given that qualified Joseph Smith as having authority to do the things he did. Listen to what it said. He had received a remission of his sins. He had received a call to his holy work by an angel who had given him the means to translate the Book of Mormon that an angel showed the book to others, that the Church of Christ was organized on April 6, 1830, that on the same day Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery ordained each other, having been called of God to do so, and that by these great witnesses all will be judged. That is it. That is what the uh, Book of Commandments in the early days described as Joseph Smith's authority to do the things he did. Nothing about these visits. No mention of Peter, James, and John. One of the witnesses of the Book of Mormon, David Whitmer, when interviewed in 1855, said there was never anything about any visits of John the Baptist or Peter, James, and John. One-time member of the faith, William E. McClellan, said, quote, I joined the church in 1831. For years, I never heard of John the Baptist ordaining Joseph and Oliver. I heard not of James, Peter, and John doing so. He later continued, I heard Joseph tell his experience of his ordination by Cowdery and the organization of the church probably more than 20 times to persons who, near the rise of the church, wished to know and hear about it. I never heard of Moroni, John the Baptist, or Peter, James, and John, end quote. It wasn't until 1834, four years after the establishing of the church, that Joseph Smith mentions, as found in some Kirtland Council minutes, that the priest, quote, the priesthood office that had been conferred upon me by the ministry of angels of God. He then says that's how it happened. And it wasn't until September of 1834, four years later, that Oliver Cowdery made this statement official about these heavenly ordinations. Why? Because like so many other important issues in Mormonism, they were added to the script retroactively. They were frauds. For more information on this, go to 2000 Archives on our uh, www.hotmtv and watch the program number 21. So, 
Under the tutelage of Joseph Smith's uh, fraudulent and mesmerizing way, the church grew, fueled by extreme millennial fervor. What many, many people do not realize is that early Mormons were convinced by Joseph and others that Jesus was coming soon, and it was their sacred duty to prepare the world for him to come and reign. In very short order, everything Joseph Smith did and directed and demanded was couched in the theme that Jesus was coming and we have to prepare the world through our righteousness and works for his, this event. It was the fuel that energized everything early Mormonism did. Add in the fact that when things got tough, Joseph had a fantastic knack for introducing new revelations and new practices and newly revealed doctrines, which would serve to unsettle growing suspicions of this charismatic and redirect early believers' efforts to a new cause and take the focus off him as a fraud. With a move to Kirtland, Ohio, and the trials that came with it, Joseph introduced a miraculous translation of some Egyptian scrolls, saying they were Father Abraham's original writings and making them new scripture for the Mormons. Today, they are a proven fraud. Suffice it to say, between 1830 and his death, Joseph introduced a tremendous amount of prophesying and official proclamations in the name of the Lord, many of which fell flat, leaving the saints without uh, a lot of faith in the man or his office in the, as a prophet, seer, and revelator. We're not ready for that quote yet. Uh, one once faithful LDS man, we need to take that quote down. We'll get into that in a minute. Right now, they're very sweaty and scrambling behind the screen. <laughs> Be patient. We'll get that quote down. <laughs> well, anyway, there was this faithful LDS man named John Coral at the end of an 1839 expedition, and he explained why he abandoned Mormonism altogether. Listen to what he said. When I retrace our track and view the things of the church over six years past, I can see nothing that convinces me that God has been our leader. Calculation after calculation has failed, and plan after plan has been overthrown, and our prophet had not seemed to know the event until too late. If he said, go up and prosper, still we did not prosper, but have labored and toiled and waited through trials, difficulties, and temptations of various kinds in hope of deliverance, but no deliverance came. LDS historian and author Richard Bushman in his book, Rough Stone Rolling, states matter-of-factly that everything Coral just said was true. With a final move to Nauvoo, Illinois, the early LDS church entered, to what, entered into what I call Joseph Smith's unrestrained years. Here, the temple took on a more and new significance of control on the people who followed him. Here, Joseph added unto himself dozens and dozens of wives, all secretly kept from the knowledge of his wife, Emma, some of them as young as 15. It was in Nauvoo that Mormonism began to foster and embrace temporal prosperity and the use of political muscle. Few things pleased Joseph more. It was his kingdom of power, which in my opinion became far more important to him than preparing for the kingdom of God. 
A letter written by Joseph and littered with this new prosperity and power hyperbole was sent abroad and it said, Let the brethren who love the prosperity of Zion, who are anxious that her stakes should be strengthened and her cords lengthened, and who prefer her prosperity to their chief joy, come and cast their lots with us and cheerfully engage in a work so glorious and sublime and say with Nehemiah, we are his servants and we will rise and build. If you close your eyes and listen, you can hear literally these same sentiments echoing through the words of LDS prophets ever since, especially with the rhetoric of Gordon B. Hinckley. No longer was Joseph pointing to the immediate return of Jesus as the answer to the waiting and troubling saints, but he now had entered into the newest and final phase of his life by offering the instant gratification of temporal success to anyone who sought to serve both God and mammon. Listen, for instance, to a segment from the LDS Doctrine and Covenants, uh, section 124. Here, Joseph makes an attempt to command the saints in Nauvoo to build a hotel, and he does it using God's voice. We have, the, uh, we have the graphic for this. Speaking of the Nauvoo Hotel investment scheme, Joseph has God say in the LDS scripture, and they shall not receive less than $50 a share in that house, and they shall be permitted to receive $15,000 from any one man for stock in that house but they shall not be permitted to receive over $15,000 from any one man. And if they do appropriate any portion of that stock anywhere else, only in that house without the consent of the stockholder and do not repay fourfold for the stock which they appropriate anywhere else, only in that house, they shall be accursed and they shall be moved out of their place, saith the Lord God. For I, the Lord God, for I am the Lord I am God and cannot be mocked in any of these things. End scripture by Joseph Smith. Does that sound like God? Does that sound like a revelation from God? It's unbelievable. It's really interesting to watch one phase of Joseph's methods go from from Jesus and the restoration of the church and to doctrine to another phase, which is money and multiple wives and land schemes. And you can see it happen. Even in the Book of Mormon, in the Nauvoo years, it seems to take a back seat. There's a story that is, that is true. You go to utlm.org and you can find it. And what happens is this story is they're laying the cornerstone for the Nauvoo house. And Joseph suddenly has an idea. Hey, I'm going to go get the only surviving manuscript of the Book of Mormon. And I'm going to put it in the cornerstone stone of the Nauvoo house. So he takes off running. He comes back and Ebenezer Robinson, a faithful Latter-day Saint, was shocked to hear Joseph say as he scanned through the manuscript to ensure that it was all there, I have had enough trouble with this thing. That's what the guy said about the only manuscript available of the Book of Mormon. I have had enough trouble with this thing. Can you imagine the children of Israel, uh, the scribe saying of the book of Isaiah, I've had enough with this thing. Can you imagine a Christian today taking the New Testament and saying, I've had enough of this thing. Let's move on and start making some money through land schemes. But Joseph, like the Mormon church today, and this is the important part, was at the point of only using the Book of Mormon as bait to get uh, more and more uninhibited and total power. And when power is desired, money or military must be present. In 1842, Joseph uh, 
became, uh, Nauvoo became the home of the most impressive military presences in America at the time. Just stop and think about that for a moment. The military presence was established by the founder of the Mormon religion. Why? With the increase of growth and power in Nauvoo, Joseph's ambition for political power became more and more vocal. He began to see Nauvoo as a capital of an international religion, a world power, as so stated in Doctrine and Covenants 133, 7-9. This vision was continued and has continued into Mormonism today. World power, world control, and the complete infiltration of the earth. Back in Nauvoo, Joseph reminded the members in their October conference that Zion, which is our topic tonight, Zion was to, quote, become the praise, the joy, and the glory of the whole earth. Funny, but the Bible tends to apply appellations of praise and joy and glory to Jesus alone. In the spring of 1841, Joseph dictated a revelation, a proclamation to all the kings of the world, which said in part that the powers of the earth were to give heed to the light and glory of Zion, that the time has come to favor her, that Nauvoo's temple would undoubtedly attract the attention of great men of the earth, end quote. Joseph proclaimed, quote, Awake, O kings of the earth, come ye, O, come ye with your gold and your silver to help my people. This arrogance, this lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life set in Joseph's heart completely, and it became the foundation for present-day Mormonism. Don't believe me? Just look around at the general attitude of most prominent members and compare it to what Jesus says someone who follows him will be like. Jesus said persecuted, poor, broken, the world will hate them. Look at the present-day most prominent members of the LDS Church. Look at their status in this world. Look at the land holdings of the LDS Church today. Look at their political activism today. And look at what it is trying to do in bringing Christians in to join hands with them against the fight against this world. Once obtaining the right to be Nauvoo's Lieutenant General, Joseph began to prefer the title of General over that of President or Prophet of the Church. Oozing with military might, the LDS prophet pranced about in gold and blue uniforms with braids on his shoulders and high military boots and a chapeau topped with ostrich feather hats. A United States artillery officer witnessed a full dress parade of the Mormon militia in 1844, which was nearly 3,000 strong at that time, and wrote an article on June 17, 1842 in the New York Herald describing them as, quote, a fearful host filled with religious enthusiasm and led by ambitious and talented officers. The time will come when this gathering host of religious fanatics will make this country shake to its center. A Western empire is certain, end quote. To be sure, Mormonism almost from its beginning has sought, fought, strived, and worked to become a world political power establishing a theocracy. Joseph Smith's ultimate intentions were to establish what he called the kingdom of God here on earth. Understand to Mormonism and to Mormons today, the kingdom of God is Mormonism. It is called Zion. If you come to the state of Utah, you will see Zion everywhere. Zion in the Bible, merely Israel, merely Jerusalem. Zion, Zion, they say. In Utah, come here. We have Zion's Park. We have Zion's National Bank. Zion is everywhere because they believe it's here and they're trying to spread it out to the rest of the world. 
and it has been on March, excuse me, on March 11th of 1844, Joseph began to organize what he hoped would eventually become a sovereign Mormon state, Missouri, and he secretly formed a council of 50 princes to be the highest court on the earth. Uh, Mormon Bishop George Miller, member of the Council of 50, wrote that the Council of 50 would at once dominate the United States. One of the first actions of the council that this Council of 50 did was to ordain Joseph Smith king, king of the kingdom of God. Now for the quote, Joseph Smith said of himself, watch carefully what it says. I calculate to be one of the instruments of the setting up of the kingdom of Daniel by the word of the Lord, and I intend to lay a foundation that will revolutionize the whole world. Quote, it will not be won by the sword or gun that this kingdom will roll on, he said. The power of truth is such that all the nations will be under the necessity of obeying the gospel. The political ambitions and rhetoric of Mormonism's founder goes on and on, culminating in him running for the presidency of the United States. Well, you might say to yourself, Joseph Smith was a long time ago, and Mormonism has moved well beyond the days of militias, political motives, and uh, the goal of world theocratic domination. And I would certainly beg to differ, so much so that we are going to spend all of 2011 analyzing early and present day attempts by the LDS to establish what they call Zion with its kingdom headquarters being what they call the New Jerusalem. That is a place that they say is located in the United States. They are a theocracy, right now hidden because people of Utah won't put up with it, but it is now spread out to the world. Every time they put a temple in a foreign country, every time they plant stakes and wards, I am not in any way suggesting that any harm ever come to any Latter-day Saint from the prophet down or to their property, but I am suggesting that the Christian church wake up. A couple weeks ago, Mike Huckabee has the Osmonds on his, on his show. We, we've got, we've got uh, Christian people supposedly joining hands with the likes of guys uh, out there uh, at Washington, and we're all becoming one happy family unit. And I'm going to tell you something. It is in their history, and it is their ambition to rule the world theocratically. This is not part of what Christians have anything to do with. This kingdom is not ours. We have nothing to do with it. we got to wake up now. And that is what all of 2011 is going to focus on. And I think you're going to find it engaging because it is scary, in my opinion, looking at the facts. With that, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. First time callers, please. LDS callers, if possible, turn down your television shuts. And um, we're at the end of the year. If you are finding yourself looking for a, a place to put to have a write-off on your taxes, uh, Aletheia Ministries is a 501c3 tax-exempt corporation. If you are interested in supporting the ministry and if the Lord leads, uh, consider us as you're able to take uh, any contributions and uh, remove them from your taxes. All right, we're going to go to Eve in West Jordan, Utah. First-time caller, LDS. Uh, then we're going to go to Robert in West Valley. Uh, and let's go now. Eve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Oh, my goodness. Hi, Eve. I'm live? You're live. Okay. Listen, it was like an encyclopedia tonight. Yeah, we went after a lot, didn't we? Yes, but I have to tell you that, you know, listening to all of that, I was born and raised in Protestant churches. I went to Baptist church. I went to Methodist church. 
I went, when my mom remarried, to Catholic school. I went to Catholic church, made my Holy Communion. But I have to tell you that in spite of all that, when I was 20 years old, I came across the Mormon church not hearing one thing about the Mormons, not hearing one thing about Joseph Smith. I was invited to watch a movie. Hey, come and watch a movie. A whole bunch of us kids are getting together. And no matter how much of that stuff you read to us and to me, I tell you, I went to this house, and they put on this movie, and they didn't tell me anything about it. And the spirit, a feeling I've never felt before in my whole life, gone to Protestant churches, Catholic church, this voice came into my head, touched my heart, and overwhelmingly told me, what you're about to see is true. And it was the Joseph Smith story. But it I wasn't think, true. Pardon me? But it wasn't true. No, that, that what you're about to see is true. But it wasn't true. So what spirit <laughs> told you that what I, you were about to see is true? Right. That I watched the Joseph Smith story, Joseph Smith going into the field, seeing God the Father and the Son. I'm from the state of New York. I've been back and visited the, the Grove of Trees. But, but it's it not true. Core, the but I'm the telling it to my core one thing I want you to understand. You, anyone can bring up stuff. They brought evidence against Jesus, against Peter, James, and John. You know, they killed and beheaded them. Eve? I mean, Eve? What yeah. I'm trying to say is, did you know that there are at least 11 versions of the first vision? Did you know that the very first recital of Joseph Smith about the first vision has nothing to do with God the Father and Jesus Christ visiting him? Did you know that? You I don't, want to tell but you. See, but see, you don't know it because that was not portrayed in the movie. So a I, spirit told you what you're about to see is true. That spirit lied to you. It lied to you. And you and believed what? it because it felt good. What I'm trying to tell you is that I know to my core, to no matter what anyone tells me differently, that God, my Father in Heaven, told me that Joseph Smith did see God the Father and the Son. And to me, that's the foundation of the Church. Nothing will ever change that. Not and the scripture that, that says no man sees God at any time? Not that won't change your mind? I'm sorry? Not the passage in the Bible that says... No man sees God at any time? You don't believe that? No, absolutely not. I personally believe the scriptures that say that, that if you ask in faith, believing, right. God will give you the answers. Well, that, so that's, not, that's not the same thing. The answers are, are different, even though I'm still questionable that, and you're quoting James. But, but talking about seeing God, it says directly, Jesus says in John, no man has seen the Father at any time. But yet, Joseph claims he did, and you are saying you don't care what the evidence says, you don't care what it reads in the Bible, you don't care what the chronology is of the first vision, you are going to believe it because something said what you are about to see in this film is true. Is that correct? That is correct. And I just, I'm glad we have it. Day, I can't I argue with God, you. I can't argue with you, Eve. I'm glad you you're being argue. honest. Yeah, you can argue with me. No, I can't. I can't argue with you. All I can say is that is not how God has laid things out. God has not said, hey, if it feels true and a voice in your head said what you're about to see is true, you cannot possibly believe that that is the way you receive knowledge. 
because well, then you're subject to every whim that comes into your head. All I know is I'm just saying to you because your you know show I've watched it here and there, and I just I just had felt so strongly I had to comment today and say I have read the Bible I have read the scriptures I've read the Book of Mormon back and forth, and I just know that how I how Heavenly Father has taught me is He talks to me when I pray I get answers and everything conforms with you know what the church teaches. And so I, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but I just had to call and just say, you know, there can be mounds of evidence, but the guilty are guilty, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't, doesn't have anything to do things. about his failures. It has to do with the facts of what he says and what he did. Sorry, for me, when God... I know it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to you. what I know. I'm going to go by. Okay, Eve, thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. I liked Eve a lot, and I'll tell you why. Because she didn't try to say... Well, you know, the Bible doesn't really, or she didn't try to say, she just went off how most Mormons really think. And I can appreciate that because it lets you know, the viewer, what you're dealing with when you're talking with a true believer. You know, read Eric Hoffer's The True Believer. You will find that belief is far more important, strong, and leading than facts. Facts mean nothing to someone who wants to believe. The, like I said last week, the Amshirinko cult in Japan is full of PhDs. They're very smart people, but there are spirits that come and they can deceive. I mean, Galatians says that Satan can appear as an angel of light. So how, do, how would I, as a person, be able to differentiate between this, this being of light that comes to me and it looks like an angel and it says, this is true when it's a lie? How can I tell? God gave us a manual. He said, look at the manual, search it out and find out your facts from it. Don't let these beguiling spirits and these mesmerizing people and these, and these false books and this faked chronology influence you. These films that the LDS church make in their PR department and their oboe music and their soft lighting. Don't let those beguile you. I have a word here that you can read. And if you read the word, it will tell you what truth is. Eve has not done that. She's read the Bible, reading the Bible. You just read it through. Anyone can do that. The Mormons read the Bible, they say. But do you read it because you want truth? Because you want your eyes opened? I challenge Eve to open her eyes and mind. Let's go to Paul, West Valley City. Uh, excuse me, Paul in uh, Salt Lake City. And then Robert. Paul, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Uh, I had a... Just, um, you have to speak up, Paul. I'm sorry. You have I to had talk them. loud. Okay, can you hear me now? I can. I have an observation. I've been really looking into the Bible now that I'm steering away from the LDS Church, and one thing that really disturbs me about uh, all Christian religions and the Mormon faith is in their scriptures they just come out and lash out against all on non-believers or unbelievers, you hear it left and right. I got a scripture in the Doctrine and Covenants that uh, says crap about it, and then uh, a scripture in Hebrews. But uh, I'm going to take your point off the air, Paul, so that. we can get to other callers. I understand your point. Let me address it off the air. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. And that son did stuff that we cannot ever comprehend until we're dead and God reveals it. 
we can't get it. It was so tough, so grueling, bloodshed, obedience, love. Okay, he sent his son to do that for us. And God says, here's the thing. All you got to do is believe on him. Okay, so the scripture points out in the Bible that unbelief is the sin for which you will go to hell for. You realize that it's unbelief. You don't go to hell because you have sin in your life. You go to hell because you haven't believed on the solution to sin. People think, oh, I've done this. Can I go to heaven? I've done that. Can I look at we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God so loved the world, he sent his son. And so it's unbelief. And that's why scripture is hard on people who are faithless. Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you, I mean, why do you doubt so much? Why do you fear? Because it's those elements that, that disqualify you for going to heaven. It's that simple, okay? So that's why it talks about that. And if you don't like that, maybe you ought to look at your heart. Maybe you ought to see, hey, how come I'm not believing? What's about my heart that, that I feel so offended by this? Let's go to Robert uh, in West Valley City, Utah. Robert, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Robert, you're on the air. Yeah, yeah, this is Robert. You're on the air. Oh, is it Sean? It uh, is. Okay, Sean. Yeah, um, this uh, this teaching uh, is by Rock Ed Decker, and uh, I just wanted to read it to the audience. Uh, it's just another teaching uh, similar to what you've been trying to teach people tonight. Yeah. And it says the Mormon Church teaches the universe is governed by a head God and His council. The head God called together the gods and sat in a grand council to bring forth the world. In the beginning, the head of gods called a council of the gods, and they came together and concocted a plan to create the world and people it. Joseph Smith, Teachings of the Prophet, Joseph Smith, page 348 and 349. This is just another example of, of the exa many examples that you've given and, and, and the teachings that you're trying to teach people to, in order for them to find their salvation, and and if and I've heard many LDS people say that they believe in in uh, um, God that, that is in the Bible, and they should know that there are not never a mention of gods in the Bible, and that's what I'd like to say. All right, Thank I appreciate you. that addition. Thank you so much. Take care, Robert. Okay, you're doing a great job, Sean. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. God bless. Bye-bye. We have a caller who says, if you would just read the end of the Book of Mormon where it says to pray with a sincere heart, you wouldn't be bringing all this up. You know, what they're saying in Moroni, it gives this little thing. It says, if you if you prepare, uh, pray with a sincere heart, if these things are not true, and uh, I will tell you that these things are true. But again, that's just, that's just like this, uh, it's like a carnival trick, Okay. That it's just like, look at you spent the whole time, you notice it's at the end of the Book of Mormon. You've invested all this time reading the thing. You've got these handsome missionaries telling you. You've got a good family friend who has a beautiful home telling you, read the book, prepare with a sincere heart. Maybe you're searching for something, and suddenly you come to this thing, and then the missionaries challenge you, pray, see if it's true. Well, you pray, and you have all kinds of things. Maybe you have a lover who's an LDS, and he's trying to get you to join, so you'll marry him. Or something like this, which they use all of that to get you. And so you go and you pray with a sincere heart, and you had just a little too much hot sauce that day and it just a little burp comes up and you or or you just suddenly feel woozy because you stand up too soon and you're like oh the room spun and, and you say it's true <clears throat> God does not ever in his word say pray to know that the Bible's true go to come to me and pray to know that this word is true 
Never. It's a carnival trick that Joseph Smith included in the Bible. It's demonic, to tell you the truth, because it's used emotionalism and feelings to get you to believe something's true. And we just had evidence of that from the caller Eve. She said, I don't care about evidence. I don't care what it says in the Bible. I'm going to believe this feeling I had from watching a movie. Okay. That is so highly dangerous, you know? Okay. Let's go to Jasmine, Salt Lake City. First time caller, Jasmine, you're on Heart of the Matter. Jasmine, you got to turn your TV down. Jasmine, Jasmine. No, and I want to ask him, how do you like talk to your fellow, like, I feel like my mom has friends at work and she can't like, should she not talk about it? Cause she tries to preach to what, um, what about your saying? Like, explain to them about what you're saying. She just, she just forget them or? Forget them. Hello? <laughs> I got the question. Jasmine, okay, Jasmine's gone. Listen, uh, anytime the Spirit's guiding, but you got to use wisdom. You don't want to go up to your boss and say, you know, you're going to hell, you're a Mormon. You want to you use wisdom, you know, and you want to use Jesus as the wisdom. You know, Jesus means so much to me. He liberated me. He set me free. I'm born again. Are you born again? You know, just use some wisdom at your job place. Are you born again, boss? Well, you know, and then you open up a dialogue and then you bring them some donuts the next day. They love the donuts. And, uh, you know, you just kind of just talk to them about Jesus because he's the thing that brings the light in and, and casts the shadows out. So I hope that helped you uh, answer your question. Uh, caller says the angel Moroni was first named Nephi. Was this true? He was referred, angel Moroni was referred to as Nephi in uh, different places in church history. True. By Joseph Smith. He said that Moroni was name was Nephi in certain things. So it could have been just he got confused. I get confused on here and make uh, mistakes. Maybe he just got confused. Or maybe he really just uh, revealed that he really didn't know uh, what he had said at the time. Don't know. Herman from Provo, second time caller. Uh, Herman, you're on Heart of the Matter. Herman? John? You're on the air. Hello. Okay. Go for it. John? This is Herman. Hello, Herman. You're on the air. You know, I like to compare Jesus and Joseph in the Bible. And I've, I've been reading a little bit. Jesus was a really divine person. He was, uh, he okayed the laws and everything, whatever. He never was against the laws. And he was a, 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 a humble person. And I just want to tell you what kind of Joseph Smith was. Joseph Smith was a fugitive to justice most of his life. He broke every law in the states, in New York, Ohio, Missouri, Illinois, and even the president of the United States and the governor of Missouri and Illinois issued a warrant against him for trees and all kind of stuff. Yeah. And then he was a he was a, a womanizer. He was an adultery. He commit uh, like uh, uh, anything was. Not in the right thing. And I don't think Joseph Smith was a, a prophet. I would agree with you so much, Herman. Thank you so much for the call and for the, for the additions. God bless you. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. You got to understand something. The LDS response to that is, look, we all make mistakes. And Joseph Smith was a man and he made mistakes. We are not holding up the fact that he made mistakes. We are holding up the fact that he made his mistakes and he said God ordained them. You get the difference? 
you fall into adultery, you get in problems with crime, you say this, say that, and you say, I've blown it, I fell away, I did whatever, that's fine. But when you say, thus saith the Lord, maketh of moneyeth, and uh, giveth your moneyeth to meeth, or that your wifeeth should abeeth with meeth, you got a problem. You know, and that's what Josepheth didith. Okay, so we're going to Tina in West Jordan, Utah. She has a comment about our caller, Eve. Uh, Tina, you're on the air. How's it going, Sean? Oh, it's going well tonight. How you doing? Good. Happy New Year early. Same to you. <laughs> I just wanted to Happy comment Campbell? on Eve and Paul. Okay. Um, first of all, if Eve was watching your show, she's not 100% a believer in Mormonism or she wouldn't be watching. Good call. There's some kind of question that's there that should be there. Yeah. Because in the Bible it says, test your prophets. Yeah. And how do you do that? You ask questions and you read. Yeah. And for Paul, the Doctrine and Covenants is a Mormon thing. It is not a Christian thing. Exactly. And Eve, read John, all the chapters, and Romans, all the chapters. And you'll feel differently. Good advice. You, Excellent pray, advice, Tina. You pray and you'll hear the answer that you really need to know. Very good advice. Thanks so much, my sister. God bless you. You too, Sean. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Doug and Layton. He's LDS and he has a comment about Eve. Uh, Doug, you're on the air. Hi. I uh, just wanted to comment on Eve as well. I think you know, when you're talking about being born again, when Nicodemus went uh, to the Lord, he didn't understand that. Uh, and, uh, of course, the Lord was trying to explain it to him in uh, John chapter 3, and I'm sure you're aware of that. But the thing that I think is really important is what he told him. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. That is the beginning and the end of all. If I have told you uh, earthly things and you believe not, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So you're uh, summarizing your point, Doug. Well, my point was that she was bearing witness to you and you don't receive the witness. And Well, I, I, I presented a witness to her. It was called facts. She didn't receive my witness. <laughs> Well, her witness was that she received from, from the Lord. She received uh, that witness from the Lord? That's what she was saying, wasn't I know, she? but so am I just to embrace that because she says it, or do I need to back it up with facts? Well, what was Nicodemus supposed to say to the Lord? We'll back it up with facts. Uh, and the what did the Lord say? What he did the Lord say? We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. Okay, that's fine, but what we're we, what you have just brought in, we're talking about apples, and you've brought in a piece of steak. I mean, we, you are talking about a completely different thing here. She watched oh, really? a movie. She watched a movie, and something in her head said, after she had bit, belonged to a num other, numerous other religions, this is a true movie. But the movie wasn't even true. I'm not talking about whether he had the vision or not. I'm talking about how they portrayed it. That's not what happened. So how could I sit here and believe her witness when I know the movie wasn't even true? Well, when you say you know the movie wasn't even true, you're saying that 
that you know things that weren't portrayed in the movie. I do. Filmmaker, no, 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 wait. There are lots of things that you don't include in a movie. You can't include everything. But But you can't include the truth. You can't, okay, you can include that when Joseph's first vision came out, his first vision was he just saw some kind of light. Later on, he said, I then saw Jesus. He said Jesus. Later on, it wasn't until far later that he said, hey, it was God the Father in a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. Only that came up way later. How come they didn't show? No, 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 no. You know, the thing is... No, wait, these are facts, Doug. We got Doug, four accounts Doug, in the Bible Doug, and none of them agree. Doug, these are facts. Of your church history. Go to www.utlm, look at your facts. Well, now, you are trying to go off on all kinds of things. I don't Let's see stay anywhere on the topic. in the Bible that says you have to be a historian, you have to uh, find the facts through uh, Sure, look at, what, uh, look at what was said to the Bereans in the book of Acts. Yeah, but they searched the scriptures, and if you, That's if you right. have time, you can see, you can search the scriptures, and I've asked you that before, Sean, how in the world can you account for the things uh, in the Old Testament that talk about the restoration of, of the house of Israel, if Joseph wasn't that prophet, who would it be? I heard the other day that uh, the most often asked question of Bible, end-time prophecy of the Bible, is why it doesn't mention America. And yet, here, the Book of Mormon is all about America. Yeah, uh, unbelievably, because Joseph was concocting an American religion. America has nothing to do with end-time prophecy. It's oh, all missed, Jerusalem, Doug. You've you bought the thing hook, line, and sinker. I, I don't want to take any more of your time. Okay, my friend. Thanks for calling right, and watching. Thanks. Listen, a caller asks, why are feelings more important than the truth to LDS? You know, it's just like the romance movies. You, if you go and watch a romance movie, you get enthralled with the story. The feelings, the tears, the heartbeats, the passion, the love. You want your marriage and your romance to be that way. And then you go home and you find George sitting there with his beer belly hanging out, drinking a soda and changing the channel and saying, go let the dog out. I mean, we like emotive things. They make us feel good like it's true. They help us fantasize. Joseph, he, provide a, he provided a fantasy. And, 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 he, and people buy it because it talks about eternal families. And it talks about where Jesus said, we're, we're not married or given in, in, in marriage in heaven. Joseph said, our families go on forever. I mean, you name it, the guy came up with a feel-good answer. And yet those feel-good things he knew, he knew would play on the hearts of people far more than biblical facts. I will go to my grave, and I pray everyone will, will go to their grave having read this book and believed it.